0: You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business
1: coach, Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash Thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T thrive Welcome everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeld. I'm your host. And our guest today is Mark Fisher. He is a small business owner. He's um, with Mark Fisher Fitness, as well as a business called The Business for Unicorns, and looking at gyms and gym facilities and how sort of the fitness industry has been evolving and changing. We're going to talk to him a little bit about how he's approached the fitness industry, his insights, and how he's not only built his own company but helped other companies figure out their strategy, their positioning, and we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on in the fitness industry given COVID-19. Uh, we're recording this mid-April, so we're kind of in the, I'd like to say in the middle, we'll sort of see where where we land in terms of timeframe, but we're in the midst of COVID-19 and obviously it's impacting everyone, uh, but we're going to talk a little bit about what Mark is seeing in the fitness industry uh, in terms of responses, as well as what the impact is going to be um, in uh, long term. So uh, with that, Mark, welcome to the program.
0: Thanks so much for having
1: me. Yeah, so why don't we start with background, understand a little bit of your experience, how you got into the fitness industry. Uh, I love, I've love. i heard your story a couple of different times, but I'd love to uh, have you just tell the audience the path that you've been on, the journey that you've been yeah. on to get to where you are today, because there's some interesting steps along it.
0: Yeah, very unusual path to entrepreneurship, that is for sure. Yeah. So I'll, I'll offer the relatively highlighted versions, that way we can get to get into content, but essentially as you mentioned, I own a brick and mortar brand in New York City called Mark Fisher Fitness. I would say very briefly, it's worth understanding It's a very unusual brand. So if anyone listening is curious to see things they can't unsee, if they go to markfisherfitness.com, they they will see it is pink and there are unicorns and it is glittery. We call our clients ninjas. We don't call it a gym. We call our homes the enchanted ninja clubhouses of glory and dreams. And our tagline is ridiculous humans, serious fitness. So the brand is very reverent. We specialize in people that hate and or are afraid of gyms, which is why we don't even use the term gym. We call it a club. House. And but we're also very rigorous about training. We're also super evidence-based science nerds that, in addition to working with people that maybe don't identify as gym people, we want to give them a great experience, great customer service, great product, great program design, get results. And this unusual brand was largely born out of, as you alluded to, my unusual background, which is as essentially a Broadway refugee. So I had spent my 20s in New York City as a performer doing a lot specifically with musical theater little bit of TV and film as well. And I quite loved it. But like many people that were actors, I need to do some things to fill in the gaps (laughs) outside. And I really got into personal training. And you know, my throughout my 20s, I had a great time because particularly into my late 20s, I had a modicum of success as an actor. I wasn't crushing it by any means financially, but I was like doing pretty well. I was working consistently. But I had this other thing that I really, really loved. I really loved training. I was genuinely passionate about it. It was not a thing I was suffering through. So I was a Pretty happy guy with these two parallel careers. And then the long and short of it is, I kind of reached a certain point in my life where I didn't want to be leaving town anymore. And almost on a whim, this would have been the summer of 2010, I had heard some mentor figure, and I I can't isolate who this was, but I had heard of someone that was reading two books a week, and I had always been a very voracious reader. But when I heard that, for some reason that moment, it really inspired me. I was now looking to stay in town. So I decided I'll read one book a week on training for my training career, and I'll read one book per week on business, which the time, I thought was for my acting career, because acting is a business. Yeah. And in retrospect, very strange, because I look back on that first year, in my head, of course, I'm reading business books for my acting career. And I'm reading like, <laughs> even and good to great and all these books that are hilarious. Yeah, I love it. Meanwhile, I'm like a personal trainer, you know, like yeah. I just developed the quirky brand at that point, I had started like a newsletter that I put my friends and family on. And anyway, to make a long story short, because the brand was so eccentric, and because I really started putting to work, I think some latent entrepreneurial interest and talent, and combining it with a real deep love and passion of learning about all the tools one needs when you start a business on your own, Mark Fisher Fitness kind of became the thing. And we we grew pretty quickly and we were on the Inc. 500 as one of the fast growing companies in America. And then that led to a lot of local and national press, both in fitness and in the business press. And then that led to opportunities for us to start talking about MFF, of course, because what we do is unusual. And for fitness businesses, we were having success at an unusual scale. And that's really how Business for Unit was born. So in addition to running MFF on a day-to-day basis, this other business I have with uh, my, my partner, Michael, who you know, who's my best friend from high school, who I often call my non-sexual life partner. <laughs> that is our, our other business. And that is the brand under which we do the coaching we offer. We offer courses on everything from customer service to time management and also where I do most of my speaking, which until the world paused yeah. uh, was something I spent probably about a third of my time doing, being on the road and speaking at various organizations and conferences.
1: Yeah. And business for you, unicorns is for people in the fitness industry. You
0: know, it's not technically. So the, we have, we have a coaching group called the Unicorn Society and that is for, and not just fitness, specifically for brick and mortar fitness studio owners. Got it. Got that's it. That's what we know. So like, that's the world we do like ongoing coaching. Mm-hmm. But the courses, because they're not industry specific, it's yeah. interesting. Being in New York City, we actually have started to develop some other, not, I want to say strange because it's awesome, but surprising mm-hmm. niches. So mm-hmm. for instance, our time management, Management courses like for some reason gotten really hot in a lot of real estate circles. So, and then in addition yeah. to that, you also do a fair amount of more traditional consulting where a company might hire us to come in for six months or a year to work on some sort of outcomes that they're looking for. So Business for Unicorns is really a little bit of a, a hodgepodge. And and we certainly do plenty in fitness, that's the world we come from. Yeah. But as we know, any you know, a lot of service stuff, it's a lot of it is broadly applicable. Yeah. So it gives Michael and I some variety. And Michael in particular loves to really sort of spread his wings. I can be, uh, I'm kind of happy in my fitness industry little corner, but we also like the challenges of thinking, putting our heads to interesting challenges outside the world that we know.
1: Yeah, no, it's interesting. I, yeah, I love the, um, when a business t- kind of takes a core capability or an insight or, you know, knowledge they have data they have and figure out how to apply it to other areas. Um, let's talk a little bit about kind of the journey because I'm always curious about kind of your entrepreneurial background. I mean, did, did you have anyone in your life early that kind of gave you a model for being a business owner, for being an entrepreneur? Was this, I guess, did you think of yourself as a Entrepreneur, or when did you realize you were a business owner, and and how did that change, and from a mindset point of view, and and what you had to focus on?
0: Yeah, you know, I didn't really have any models of it growing up. I didn't know anybody that was a business owner. I will say, I was always drawn to, I think, thinking myself as a business person. And even in my twenties in acting, I really was just interested in the entrepreneur elements of that business. Now, certainly, you know, your product in acting, of course, is is so, so separate, right? It's art. Of course, that business is a very strange, challenging, unique business as far as the way one has to go through gatekeepers and develop networks. And just the law of supply and demand is really just not in your favor as an actor, which is part of why ultimately I left it because when I learned about business, I was like, wait a minute, this is for the birds. There's this other opportunity. It's huge. So throughout my 20s, you know, there were a few moments where small groups of friends, we would like think of like what in retrospect was a wonderful, hilariously charming embryonic business idea, but nothing ever quite came of it. I did discover in my early 20s as an actor that I was very good at sales. For a while I actually worked yeah. on the street as one of those obnoxious people in New York that stop women and ask them a question <laughs> about their hair to then sell them a hair product. And I discovered I had a certain savant mind to get for that. I love it. But this was an interesting entrepreneur lesson because I was amazing at it. And for like two months, I went away to do my first show. I came back. And then I, upon returning, I discovered that the whole thing was a racket. Because yes, the value for what I was selling was amazing. But once you get in there. It's this high pressure sales experience. Many women had very bad experiences. And as soon as I didn't believe in the product anymore, Mm. I I quit within a week. I couldn't sell anything. (laughs) So I went from being this like savant, like super closer to like, I can't sell anything. I have to get another (laughs) job. (laughs) The rest were, were even less glamorous than selling hair salon promotion on the street. Mm. So that was mostly my relationship with entrepreneurship throughout my twenties. I I, was very surprising. I took to it the way that I did, but I think what appeals to me about entrepreneurship to this day, and I think was true for me even as an actor in my 20s. And part of what made acting very challenging is I like the idea of (laughs) like aggressively helping as many people as you can, developing skills, like working on growing, learning, developing your potential, and then using it to make other people's lives better. And Mm -hmm. then a certain percentage of those individuals will actually be able to make more money and give you some of that money out of thanks. I think that's awesome. (laughs) That thrills me. Yeah. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of how
1: we've landed here. Yeah. And any other sort of skills or things that you realize you did particularly well, or had a knack for that served you well when you moved into you know the, the business side when you when you became an entrepreneur or when you when you looked at kind of focusing on the business side of this rather than the acting side of this things that you realized yeah were helpful for you and then maybe other things that you realized you had to let go or or not focus on as much
0: yeah I think certainly one of my oft repeated can jokes is that I was prepared to be very successful as a gym owner because I have a bachelor of fine arts in the musical theater and that is something I really mean like I literally mean that there were so many skills I've learned as an actor, because acting really is just the study of the human experience. And if you think about all of business, particularly in the beginning when I wore every hat, and I'm still very involved in a lot of the marketing functions, marketing is really about entering the conversation that's already going on in the individual's head. So as an actor, it was very intuitive to me from day one in a way that when I looked at other people, certainly in the fitness industry, at times I can tell like, oh, you're a trainer and you love training and you like to talk about the stuff you like. But for me, I was always so clear on like who my friends were, who I to help, what was bothering them, what was frustrating them, what might excite them, what would make them laugh. And I think being an actor was great preparation for that. And I think management is also very much served by being an actor because you have to really think through, I think to be a good manager, emotional intelligence yeah. is important. You have to think of the second, third order consequences of decisions you make, what sort of impact it's going to have on individuals. You know, And admittedly, that is certainly something I think I'm probably going to feel ever <laughs> apprentice at. Yeah. Um, but I think the last thing that was very useful I brought into this, which I has been a huge benefit to me. And I feel like every entrepreneur, almost every human benefits from was having a lot of experience speaking in front of lots of people. Yeah. So for me, my flow state is a lot of people looking at me because in my 20s, I just got in so many reps. That was what I did professionally. was yeah. I was trained class as an actor yeah. and I was quite comfortable with a lot of people looking at me. So whether it has been using that when I was a trainer and I was teaching classes of people, that was a kind of professional Performance or in sales conversations, being able to speak well and thoughtfully and with passion about whatever it is you're offering for an individual, and certainly what I do now, a lot of it is speaking. Mm -hmm. Feels like in many ways that's when I feel like, oh wow, okay, my life weirdly kind of makes sense now. (laughs) It's got a full circle. Everything, yeah. Yeah. Because even in my 20s, the other thing that's hilarious, and I don't need to talk about in great detail, but at one point I was also going back to school to get a master's in philosophy because I want to get a a doctorate in clinical psychology. Mm. So so interested in Psychology and philosophy and the way the brain works and how humans aspire to live a fulfilled and effective life, that for me, all of those things actually come together in entrepreneurship. Because even running a business, for me, the great gift is you get to, in many ways, create the city you want to live in. Mm -hmm. So this opportunity to create a community of people and together get clear on the things that matter to you, get explicit about those values, and then through a process of ongoing difficult conversations, Mm -hmm. you know, Learn more, develop yourselves by learning about yourself, learning about each other, learning about the way the world works. You know, for me, that is certainly exhausting. Like many people, is a lot. But for me, that that's kind of the whole event, right? right? Like I'm as interested in that as I am about creating great products and service for people that work with us. I'm so interested in the way a work community can be a sharpening saw for one to turn for you to become closer to who you most want to be.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I love that. And let's talk about MFF because I think that you mentioned that it's not your normal Gym. In fact, you you know you don't call it a gym, but it is you know it's unique and it's different. And and I've been to a class or two, so I I, can speak from personal experience. But how did you go from you know creating something that is really different and really stands out, but also you know is an addressable market? You know is you know is not so unique that no one's interested in going. Like how do you balance that kind of, or how did you balance that kind of? What is our customer that we want to you know do business with? How do we identify who they are? How do we create a brand? How do we create a position around this, and really a culture around this that is going to resonate? Tell me about that process. Was that very clear from the outset? Did, was there a lot of kind of figuring it out? What kind of decisions did you have to make? Because it is—it's a pretty unique experience from a yeah. you know, from a user point of view, from a customer point of view.
0: Yeah, I think it was definitely you know a little bit of luck and a little bit of instinct, and then over time, you know, like all business systems, there's this process of taking this thing that first is organic and totally artistic, and then trying to reverse engineer what worked, and then create some systems around it without Mm. sucking the humanity out of it. In the beginning, it was very simple because, first of all, in the beginning, and this is the thing that I think is such a testament to the people we brought on, is it really, and to some extent, still is a personal brand. It's called Mark Fisher Fitness. Mm -hmm. There's things about that that are horrible and will always bother me (laughs) about being called Mark Fisher Fitness. (laughs) But having said that, in spite of 2011, it was really just me. So literally, I was doing all the classes, all the coaching. We brought on our first trainer towards the end of the year. In 2011, we went from just me to like four trainers or 2012. And then within a year and a half, two years, I wasn't doing most of the training. Most of the training was being done by other individuals. So I think that I think has been an interesting thing to figure out and was an interesting transition. And again, I really say is a testament to both good decision making on mine and Michael's part and Mm -hmm. the dumb luck of just finding people that were dynamic, that were their own person, that were able to do their version of this unique, approach to fitness, mm-hmm. which, as you mentioned, is not normal, right? There's mm-hmm. a lot of profanity and people might wear weird outfits and, you know, they might be, <laughs> it's Just, it's a, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> it's place.
1: Go to the book watch the videos. <laughs> yeah, yeah, watch, watch <laughs> the videos
0: or, or don't. Don't do it well, don't. <laughs> So, you know, that I think was interesting, building out like a team and a system yeah. and some capacity because for me, you know, and this has been, I think, an ongoing thing. I think I'm still working on, frankly, is this, the thing where I liked the idea we could leverage a personal brand because I like the idea that people want to work with a person and not a business. I'm pretty good at being an ambassador. I'm good at being like, quote unquote, the dancing monkey. So it made sense to really <laughs> yeah. leverage me as this, not a character because it's me. It's like yeah. authentic. It's not like I'm like pretending to be somebody. But you know the emails come with a very specific voice and a lot of the video content was about me. But a lot of the day-to-day like execution and the training stuff other people do that and do mm-hmm. that frankly better than I do, right? Mm-hmm. So so I think that's been a thing to figure out. Speaking to branding and marketing, because it was me in the beginning, it was literally just I'm going to train my friends. And particularly in the beginning, it was very much a child of the Broadway community. So we had this really cool niche in the Broadway world. And then I think over our first two to three years, we still train a lot of Broadway people. But in spite of the fact we were often covered in the press and known as being the Broadway place, yep. it's actually a much more robust community. We always say it's the, and I mean this in the most affectionate way, the Isle of Misfit Boys. Yeah. Whereas basically like, you know, it's the theater kids, but it was also the marching band and the skate punks and the math club and the kids that were sexually active a little bit too early. Mm -hmm. You know, so like all the children that ate lunch alone one day in middle school um, (laughs) all fit in at Mark for Fitness. And then, you know, you both have a tipping point in the beginning, which again was part luck, but also we worked hard and I think made a cool thing. We created this like tipping point, I think of this core group of people that drove a lot of word of mouth. And then, of course, as MFF has matured like any business, if you're really looking to scale your business, you can't indefinitely rely on just word of mouth. At a certain point, you need to be able to actually pull some levers, spend some money in marketing, and proactively grow your business and not just like hope that people will show up. Yeah. I think that's certainly something, depending on one's vision, that you can do if it's a more of like an artisan approach or, or you're a contractor or a craftsman. There's certainly nothing wrong with that, but I just I wanted a, a bigger business. Okay, like yeah. wanted some scale. Mm-hmm. And what wound up happening was over the past few years, we had to actually figure out how to get good at a lot of stuff that we prank were able to get away with not being great at the first couple of years. Because the first couple of years, it was like all word of mouth. And it really wasn't until a couple of years ago that one day I was like, huh, we don't really actually have a very good marketing funnel. Like we're spending for Facebook yeah. ads. And it's interesting because the reality is a lot of it was not actually rocket science. Like I should, but strange, <laughs> I had to go back in the fitness industry and study, like, okay, well, what are yeah. you know, because I was always a student of the principles of marketing but there was a moment where i had a real learning curve where i had to figure out okay well how does this work in the fitness industry how does this work in new york city what sort of like messaging and ads do we need that are going to create a funnel where people first know us they opt into a lead magnet what sort of marketing over time nurtures that relationship what sort of offers can we make when they don't know us that well yet to to give us a chance so we can get in there and really develop that relationship and again these are the things that are applicable to any business but it is interesting because in full disclosure the first couple of years we got by on just being Looney Tunes and yeah. <laughs> being novel and being great at what we did. But in some ways, of course, I almost find it more satisfying the past few years where we actually had to use some actual business acumen and not just rely on the fact that people loved us and told their friends, which they still do and I appreciate, but is not the most sustainable business.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I find that a lot with service companies is that it ends up becoming, you know, very much a culture of the owner or of the, you know, the founder. And it's very kind of word of mouth. And they reach kind of a, a ceiling or a cap on either growth or, or growth rate. And they, and you really need to start looking at other systems, other strategies. Uh, and I like the idea of going back and looking at the industry. I mean, I guess in, when you looked at the industry and how the industry did a lot of these things, were there things that you were like, oh, okay, that's good. That could work for us. And then other things that were like, "Like, I get that works for other companies, but that's not going to fit with our business and our culture. Were there yeah. things that you had to shed?
0: Yeah, I think so. You know, I think a lot of, you know, because again, the basics are always the basics. So I think the principles worked. Yeah. there were a lot of particular tactics because the fitness industry has a reputation and I think this is I hope this is getting better you can tell me of <laughs> being a place that was had a lot of really high pressure sales tactics and things that you know a lot of us are just like not stoked about particularly if you're in this industry really to help people and this wasn't yeah. a misguided attempt to make money because if yeah. you're in to make money you've made a mistake <laughs> there's better ways to do that friend yeah. you've made a terrible mistake and you know that said I am pretty agnostic So my kind of MO, whenever there's like a a thing that I don't have the answer to, I just try to figure out, okay, well, who are like top like 20 people doing this? Mm -hmm. And I'll just read every book, take every course, go to every conference, make a spreadsheet, and then literally analyze all of their funnels, right? Mm -hmm. And again, it's all kind of the same stuff. But what's been useful about that too is, of course, I also teach this stuff. So that was the other thing that wound up being very valuable. Of course, I feel like I'm a much better uh, coach and support to my clients because not only do I know what's worked for Mark Fisher Fitness, but now we've got, there's a few different things I've seen work because fitness is interesting, different markets. You know, I've kind of seen everything work everywhere and I've seen everything not work everywhere. And of course, you know, it's human nature, I think, to want to give absolutes. But so, you know, the only thing I think that really kind of turned me off is that I do think there are some things in the fitness industry that work really well that for me, I think are unethical. And I have a mm-hmm. very, you know, and I mean that with so much love and 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 I understand the individuals yeah. that, that push a lot of the stuff. I think what becomes insidious, which is just not a values fit for me, is when the end is justified means. It's like, well, I, I can say this thing and it's, it's definitely a lie, but but once I get them in there, then I'm going to help them. I'm like, oh, okay. Mm. Particularly with fitness, because if you think about the marketing and sales funnel for fitness, you are going to be oftentimes pushing on some pain points. Now, if you have a low ticket model mm-hmm. and people are just signing up for your gym and just open access and you know, it's, you know know it's maybe a, a $40 gym in a lot of the country, or, or maybe you're in New York and it's $100, 150 but that doesn't represent a lot of discretionary income of those individuals. Okay, well, you might not even need much of a sales process. They just, they're buying you almost as a commodity. Yeah. Now, I don't think that's the type of relationship I'm interested in with the people I work with, mm-hmm. but it's there's certainly nothing wrong with that. Once you're dealing with these relatively higher ticket offerings, so for context, MFF in New York City, mm-hmm. we, our average revenue per Ninja is around like $280, 290 per month. Mm-hmm. So, you know, not the most expensive, but, but not cheap by any yeah. means. But that type of marketing and sales process, you really need to not only get a chance to really for people to trust you, but usually when people are making that kind of purchase, there's some really driving need. There's something they really want that they don't have yeah. that they think if they make this investment, you can help with. So that opens up, I think, unfortunately, in the fitness industry, a possibility for certain individuals who, again, I, I, I don't think are bad people yeah. to play a little fast and loose with what they're doing as far as pulling pain points. Because for, for me, it's pretty simple. The thing is, like, just don't lie. Yeah. Right. It's like, like, for me, it's like manufactured scares. It's like, oh, you know, okay it looks like there's one opening tomorrow night for an appointment, but that's it. And there's no more Mm -hmm. for two weeks. You you know, okay, well that's, that's a lie right now. Like anyway, I think a lot about ethics in marketing and the fitness industry, like all the industries, I'm sure there's a lot of, uh, well, there's some interesting stuff that goes on there sometimes.
1: Oh yeah. Very, very. And how have you, let's talk about business, business for unicorns in terms of how you've leveraged the learning from MFF. And, and I guess, what what is your intent with business of unicorns? What are you hoping to do? Who do you serve? And then how that business kind of played out.
0: Yeah, it's been interesting. So we have a few different things we offer under the Biz for Unicorns banner. So certainly my speaking stuff is under that, which uh, we get granular from about the business, right? Sometimes that is lucrative in and of itself, and sometimes that's a profit center. And sometimes that, of course, is an opportunity to develop a network, develop leads, and really do some business development for people that will later hire us to do other things. The main things that people hire us for are we offer courses, which, and again, this is hilarious talking about all of us, because even if I'm talking about MFF, I'm like, well, this is what it was a month ago. Who knows what it's going to be like (laughs) in a month, but this is what it was. So we offer uh, courses about like every six to eight weeks on specific topics. And a lot of people certainly know us from fitness. So it's Mm -hmm. a lot of not only gym owners, but people that have online fitness brands and personal trainers. And more and more, I've been working with like larger corporate structures Mm -hmm. and like bigger businesses. So, but also people that are in other industries that either know me and Michael through New York, uh, they've found out about us through their trainer hilariously that happens a whole lot so we have the courses are one part of what we offer and then we have an ongoing coaching group with fitness business brick and mortar owners so that really is what Michael and I spend a lot of our time because we work pretty in depth with those individuals, I do not judge the term mastermind, it's not what some people might call that, that's not what we, we would call it, we've prefer to think of it as a, you know, a twelve month retainer agreement for consulting. Mm-hmm. But of course it's a, you know, that's been very satisfying because teaching is the last step of mastery. And the thing that has been such a gift is the opportunity to really force myself to articulate and test things that are working MFF and not only rely on what MFF is doing, but help individuals find the right solution for their market. And then, of course, the opportunity to teach both our clients in the Unicorn Society and create frameworks for the courses oftentimes inspires ideas for things we
1: could be doing better at Mark Fisher Fitness. Yeah, Yeah, I I always find that kind of having to teach somebody else clarifies your knowledge and actually Uh. gives you, you learn the unknown knowns. Yeah, the, the, the things yeah. that you know that you don't realize you know, yes. <laughs> you know, and articulates that and you're like, hey, actually, I need to formalize that back in what I do. <laughs>
0: totally, and it's it's such a joy too because you know we've now been this is I think the third year of the courses, which of, of course are moving online now, like yeah, all the things. Yeah, and uh, you know it's so great every time you think you just get like a, you uncover a little bit more of the sculpture behind the rock because every time you do it, you're getting questions, you're getting like appropriately challenged about things, you're finding out what people are really finding valuable, uh, and that has been incredibly satisfying. I mean, I love teaching and I'm, I'm in addition to doing a lot of hour long talks and like kind of keynote stuff. These courses are fun marathon because we'll go for like one, two days at a time. And it's such a joy multiple times throughout the day, at least a joy for me to like somebody ask a question and I say a thing and then I'm like, actually, oh, I need to write that down because we should be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> <laughs> or like we'll get to slide and I'll tell them like, oh, this thing really works well. And actually, I think we have got to keep doing this. We, why do we stop doing yeah, this? Exactly. Hold yeah, on. I realize we're not on. doing why that, that anymore.
1: Problems. Yeah, this was such a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so let's talk a little bit about what's going on in the world right now. And I guess I'm curious. I mean, every, everything's kind of shut down. We're in the middle of COVID nineteen. everyone's shelter in place. Essential businesses, uh, or only essential businesses are, are opening. And, and even there, I think they're going to be closing some of those at periods of times. But you know, the, the world is you know uh, at some level forever changed at least for the short term here. How do you sort of see businesses that have this kind of in person brick and mortar kind of approach? How, how do you think this is going to play out in terms of recovery? And what are the what are the things that are kind of forever change, or at least change for a good period of time here? That businesses, you know, service businesses that are that are dealing with this need to kind of keep in mind, or might want to think about as they think about recovery, as they think about long term strategy. What are your kind of what's your take on how this is going to play out?
0: Yeah, I think it's it's going to be fascinating. I think there's really two pieces. And both, it's probably a little too early to know. I think for me, the biggest variable is what's going to happen with the macroeconomic environment. I am a believer that that stuff is often like the weather anyway, that nobody really ever quite knows what's, what's going yeah. on, you know, that like nobody knows what's going to happen. And that inherently means there's a lot of uncertainty because, you know, the worst case scenarios are really, really scary. It's probably not going to be depression level I don't think just because you know you look historically at the depression they, they kind of did everything wrong and I think that I hope we're we're you know going to have better tools and instruments that the governments can intervene to help soften some of it but I think there's a very non zero risk that this is certainly going to be worse than anything have seen in our lifetime right yeah. but I think there's also a best case scenario which is like bad but not actually catastrophic yeah. and I think those macroeconomic wins are going to really impact all businesses and certainly they're going to impact brick and mortar service businesses everything from you know events to restaurants to certainly fitness businesses, which yeah. again is my my lane, so I'll yeah. mostly stay in there. Now, as far as specifically the virus, the other bucket is what this is going to mean for shutdown strategies being turned on and off. Presumably social distancing is going to remain a thing indefinitely. We're likely to see certain immunocompromised populations not wanting to go back. I think that's a thing that's going to be an incredible psychological challenge. Again, I want to be very clear here. I really believe we're going to weather all of this. Mm-hmm. My My optimism is infallible about the long term. Yeah. And I think this is going to be ugly. Yeah, <laughs> right? exactly. It's going to be challenging yeah. because I think we're going to see this interesting psychological dilemma where people are going to want to go out and they're going to want to commune with other people. Absolutely. But if they haven't had the virus already, they're going to understand be nervous about that. And I think that's going to create a lot of psychological tension for a lot of us for, it's really until the, the vaccine comes out. Specifically, when you look at fitness businesses, it's going to be interesting in that I think people are already so starved to connect with other people in person. Yeah. So, you know, that's an amazing positive thing. But then when we think about the potential macroeconomic challenges that people are facing, if they're getting laid off, if they're getting pay cuts. And then when you look at just logistically what social distancing means, if you're in a market like New York City, mm-hmm. where all brick and mortars is, is so much a real estate game, it yeah. just comes down to profitability per square foot, right? That's really the game here. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's not that way. Other places too, but New York. City City, it's on steroids, right? Yep. So the fact of the matter is, if Mark Fisher Fitness has to go from a capacity of fifteen people per class down to seven people per class, that's going to be tough. Yeah. So I think anybody that has that's listening it, that they have a brick and mortar it doesn't necessarily need to be in fitness, but if it's about getting people in a certain space to do whatever the thing is, I think it's going to be winter for a while. Yeah. I think the thing that obviously we're seeing that's going to I think stay with us and I think is opportunity to be a really bright spot is this is accelerated. The trends towards more, I think, inclusive and holistic, integrated service options than have a really strong online component. Mm-hmm. Now, what that looks like, I think, is going to be wildly different based on the business. And I'm certainly happy to, if it's of interest, talk more about I think the different ways it can play out for different businesses. But I think it's going to look differently for different business, business, different fitness businesses. But we will all have to have some sort of online virtual component going forward because even when they turn things back on, if you take that big of a hit to capacity. Even if your revenues are even close to where they are, you're going to not be as profitable. You can't make as much money per square foot. And a lot of the people that you would like to be helping might not be able to go into your facility now. So you're going to need to continue to have ways to help those individuals.
1: Yeah, it's fascinating. It's at any time in a market that kind of underlying cost structure changes so dramatically. Like in this case, the your physical space now becomes horribly expensive because of the restrictions it has yeah. around it. It just changes the dynamics. I mean, I, I envision you know, two AM classes because people are gonna be like, well, I I'm paying for the facility twenty four hours a day. There's no reason I should only be doing classes, you know, from six AM to nine PM. I'm gonna start like that's gonna be my thing. And I'm gonna have all sorts of pricing things that, you know, allow you to maybe it's a little cheaper to do it at two AM, you know, you know, my cost structure is different. I mean, I just I'm fascinated to see how this plays out in terms of, you know, now that those dynamics are different, the different decisions and the innovation that happens. And yeah, I certainly think the online component of it is going to be key. And I love this idea of integrated you know physical online so it's i can still give you this value but some of it's going to have to be in an online format because we can't use this physical asset nearly as much because of the cost basis for it totally yeah it'll be fascinating well Mm -hmm. we can do we'll do a follow-up episode in a couple of months or towards the end of 2020 here and see how things are playing out because i think it's um you know it is going to be interesting obviously fitness is going to be hugely impacted just like every brick and mortar service business but it's um depending on how things play out how you know what the timing is on some of this uh changing of the restrictions so it will be, um, you know, a big impact. But yes, I, I agree. I'm, I'm optimistic long term. And yes, everyone ought to be prepared for a lot of pain for the next twelve months. Right? Yeah. It's gonna be, it's gonna be pretty ugly, regardless of how yeah. some of the decisions. Uh, Mark, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, about MFF, about business for unicorns, what's the best way to get this information?
0: Yes, they can go to markfisherfitness.com or businessforunicorns.com, and that's the two websites they can find out more about what we do and potentially just laugh at strange images. And if they want want to find me, I am active-ish on Instagram, and that's at Mark Fisher human being. And if they want to chuckle at some really some hilarious pictures, they should go to at MFF clubhouse. So that's Mark Fisher Fitness's Instagram at MFF clubhouse.
1: Great. I will put the URLs and the handles in the show notes here. I'll encourage everyone to take the blue pill. Uh, Go look at the videos. (laughs) It's fun stuff. You can't unsee it, but it is uh, it is interesting. Um, Mark, this has been a pleasure. Thanks for taking some time today. Having this conversation it's really been fun and, and hopefully valuable for our audience. I think it was a good insight into what's going on and what may come, so I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah,
0: my pleasure, friend. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter.